Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Hello and welcome to another special review, uh, this time with Swiss Army Man from, I guess this is an A24 film. Um, But with me, I have... Brother Andrew. Yes. So Andrew and I are back. Uh, Tommy's not here to join us this week, but uh, that's okay. He will be back week after uh, this one. Um, with scary stories to tell in the dark. So, anyways, yeah, let's just hop right into this movie. Um, how did you hear about it? Because I know I, I heard about it, but how did Andrew? How did you hear about this movie? Well, actually, me and my friends just saw it in the movie theater. I think we went to go see something else, and it was we had missed it by like an hour. So this was there, a Swiss Army Man. We were really concerned, and we got in there and absolutely enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I lost myself in the first scene. Just that that alone, I, I was already uh, invested in it. Yeah. So how, how I heard about it was actually from, uh, I think it was Chris Tuckman. Yeah, Chris Tuckman on YouTube. He, uh, at the time, I was pretty big into him. Not so much uh, now, but at the time, I was pretty big into his reviews. And he had talked about, or he had reviewed um, Swiss Army Man. And I remember him saying, uh, I think if his exact words were something along the lines of, when I left the theater, uh, when I walked out of the movie, I went straight back and watched it again, right back to back. Because when he had first watched it, he was like, this movie is so weird, I don't even know what to think about it. And so he went right from his first viewing straight into another viewing, like right after that. Um, and that was what intrigued me. I didn't really hear, I forget what exactly, whatever else he said, but that intrigued me, that idea that a movie that's just so weird um, causes somebody like Chris Tuckman to just go back and watch it a second time. Um, but I never got around to watching it up until this review. You had all you had seen it. You said, "Alan, you have to watch this." I kept playing the soundtrack for you. That was yes. the most intriguing part. Was like right after the thing, I had to figure out where the soundtrack was. Yeah, exactly. And I absolutely love the soundtrack because it's nothing. I don't know what else is out there that's like it. Yeah, it's mostly mostly acapella with a little bit of um, the orchestra. Yeah, yeah, and we'll we'll talk about that in greater yeah. detail when we get into the spoiler section of this review. But you're right. I did hear a little bit of the soundtrack. You say, I remember you had told me to stay away from most of the tracks because they do spoil some of the movie. They kind of do. The way they're titled, obviously. Yeah. Most soundtracks do that, but yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, but I remember Montage was the one I remember hearing the most. And I remember being also still intrigued by it because it, you know, yeah, like you said, it's like mostly, um, mostly a cappella with some, orca- some orchestral music to it. So uh, that's also very intriguing. But soundtrack aside for now, uh, Swiss Army Man was a movie that was very, sh- continues to be very strange to me um, up until this review when I had finally got to watching it. So let's go over some numbers here real quick. Um, with a budget of $3 million, um, which is about right for A24 film. This is an indie title. Um, I believe it's under the Lionsgate label with A24 helping producing it. Um, $3 million budget. Opening weekend, it only released for, at least from the numbers, it released in three theaters for its opening weekend, technically. Uh, that was definitely a limited run theater at the time, or definitely a limited run at the time. Um, but it, it got $105,453 for its opening weekend. 
Again, that's for it being in three theaters. But um, the week after that, it released in about, I think, uh, about 1,400 theaters, I believe. Um, a bunch more. It got a much wider release. And overall, domestically, it ended up garnering in $4.1 million. Foreign markets at $1.6 million for a worldwide total of almost $6 million, sitting at $5.8 million. So overall, it, I mean, did pretty good in the box office, especially for, I mean, for an indie film. It made its budget back, almost doubled it. Um, so, I mean, this looks pretty good. Um, for an indie film, this is some pretty good, pretty all right numbers. Um, Score-wise, this uh, kind of isn't, kind of intrigues me. Um, IMDb at a straight 7.0, which is a very positive score for a film. Um, Metascore at a 64. It's in the green um, for Metascore. Rotten Tomatoes is a 71%. Uh, critic score, 72%. Audience score. There wasn't a cinema score for this. I didn't, expect, I didn't really expect there to be one e either. But a letterbox score of 3.6. So all the way around, generally positive reviews. Um from what I'm seeing, generally positive scores for Swiss Army Man, which is, I'm surprised. I'm kind of excited going into this, again, having not seen it yet, but hearing so much about it being, you know, uh, that it's just wacky and weird. All right, listeners, well, we're about to get into spoiler talk for Swiss Army Man. So if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend that you do. Uh, you can always pause this podcast and come back to it after you've seen it. We'll be sitting right here waiting for you to get back. So from here on out to the end of the podcast, this is now the spoiler territory. Um, you have been warned. Hank Thompson, played by Paul Dano, is trapped on an island in the middle of nowhere. After sending out pieces of trash with help messages on it, Hank has completely given up. However, right before he hangs himself, a dead body, played by Daniel Redcliffe, washes up on shore. With his farts, Hank rides the body into the mainland. While hiding out in the cave for the night, Hank realizes that the body is coming alive and talking. Manny is his name. Manny has forgotten everything about the life he used to have before he died. So Hank starts to tell Manny about his own life. And as the pair grow closer, the more Manny becomes alive. But Hank still wants to go home. On his dying phone is a picture of a woman he used to see on the bus every day, named Sarah, played by Elizabeth Winstead. Hank is in love with her, but was too scared to ever say anything. So instead, Hank dresses up as Sarah, and Manny takes Hank's place. And they act out scenes of what was and what could have been in Hank's life. The pair grow closer, and eventually they make, they make it back to suburbia, landing in Sarah's backyard. In her backyard is her daughter Chrissy. The police are called, and reality sets in. Manny is put into a body bag, and Hank is interviewed on the news. Hank runs away from the reporter, taking Manny with him, and runs all the way back to the beach they washed up on, with the Sarah and the police right behind him. He's got special powers, Hank screams as they drag him away from Manny. But all of a sudden, Manny comes alive and motorboats away from everyone, propelled by his own farts, as credits roll. Okay, Andrew, well, let's start off with the opening shots of this film. Um, there, if I remember right, yeah, if, I, if it, it's mostly open water, um, and you kind of see pieces of trash um, kind of floating in the water with messages on it, like, help me was the first one that we see. Um, but these pieces of trash tend to get more elaborate um, the more as each one passes by. I think at first it's like a juice box is the first one. First, yeah, the first one's like a juice box. The second yep. one is an applesauce container, and the yep. third one is just a complete boat made out of trash. Yeah, like a small boat made out of trash, and it's yeah. with a person on it and everything. And that's what started it. That's what started the whole movie with me. I remember being in the theater and I saw the first two. I'm like, okay, and the second one had like a lot of writing on it. I'm yep. like, okay, like this is what you would expect from. Kind of a uh, strand away, or not strand away. What's it called? Castaway. Castaway kind of type mm -hmm. beginning. And then the third piece, which is just this boat, and I'm like, hold up. <laughs> what is going on right now? And it completely sets up the movie for you. Like, when the boat comes in, it's a great way to introduce the tone. Yeah. Yeah. 
And we, the first thing we see when it, well, I guess the first, our introduction to our main character is he's sitting on top of a cooler with uh, a rope that's tied to a very tall canyon, um, or sorry, tall cliff. And he's trying to, he's about to hang himself. Um, but it's when he sees Danny Radcliffe's character, his body wash up on shore, where that kind of stops him in his tracks. Now he almost hangs himself, but luckily his rope snaps and he's able to run over and check him out. But uh, either way, our introduction to our main character is him trying to commit suicide, which is an interesting choice. I, I thought it was an interesting choice at first, wondering why would they introduce our character like this to us? You know, uh, I figured, you know, there's definitely more to this. Um, and I'm sure that's what they'll be exploring. But I was curious to know, or I guess I was intrigued to see that this was our opening to our to or our introduction to our main character. Now we do find out a little bit later um as to why he was kind of going down that route um when we find out more of his backstory later, but it is still either way an intro an in an interesting introduction to our main character. He's like off on this remote island in the middle of nowhere. Um and it isn't until the body of Danny Radcliffe's character, who we find out later is named Manny, washes up on shore. Um, that's interesting to me. What do you what do you think about it, Andrew? Uh, what do you think about this opening? Well, I love the uh, the fact that they have two different ends of the spectrum. They have um, suicide and farting, all in the same scene. Yeah, and yeah. like usually when it's a suicide scene, they're like, oh, it's a little bit dark. But then they're like, the um, the body or the corpse of uh, Manny just starts farting. Well, the second time around, the first time around, he goes up to it, starts talking to it. So he kind of gives uh, something along the lines of not his philosophy, but like his understanding of how other people perceive it. Talks about life, you know, at the end of your life, life is flashing for your eyes and you want to see this big old grand thing that you've impacted the world. But he's just right. like, I didn't see anything. And he's trying to bring, you know, a little bit, a little bit of a character out. And then the body just starts farting. Yeah. Which is just like complete turnaround of tone. I thought it was interesting that he went up to a dead body wearing the noose still. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Yeah. It's it's a weird visual to see this main character who just tried to, who just tried to commit suicide run up and is inspecting a dead body who uh we don't really ever find out until later in the movie uh what exactly had happened to Daniel Radcliffe's character, Manny. Um we find out a little bit later as to what happened. Um he ended up jumping off of a bridge. Do we I forget, did we find out what the reason was why he jumped off the bridge? No, it's probably uh Okay. I mean through the main theme or the main message of the whole movie, it's probably from stress and just the daily, not mundane, but the work of life just being so heavy. Yeah. He probably right. just jumped off a bridge. Like he, like we were talking about for uh, our main character who still hasn't been introduced with a name yet. That's right. Yeah. Which is fine. It makes later. sense. Cause it's only him. He's not just going to start saying his name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For a good chunk of the movie or for a good, maybe 20 ish minutes. We don't have names for these the characters. First scene. The first scene, we don't have any names. It's the second scene when they wash him sore that he says his name. That's right. Yeah, that's right. He says, right. I'm Hank. I have no idea what his last name is, but... Yeah, I think, yeah. So, yeah, it's these two characters, the, at least to begin with, we don't really, yeah, like you said, we don't find out their names until after uh, they wake up on the shore of some other, or some other supposedly island that leads to humanity in some place, which you also find out later is just like uh, not far from his, from uh, the girl's backyard. Um, but yeah, so we find out that um, 
so this opening scene up into the point where they wash up on the this new shore um you it's set up here that main character something had happened possibly happened in main character's life ended up on an island for whatever reason but then meets uh, a, a dead body uh <laughs> that he starts to interact with in different ways um very strange K- kind of just out oh, way yes. out there oh yes and so I was immediately intrigued by this, like, okay, where is this going to go? I knew that, uh, I kind of picked up here at the very beginning that the dead body of Manny is more going to be more representative of our main character later on, and, we'll f- and of course, it unravel that later in later scenes, but I started to pick up that kind of a thing in this opening scene um, that's just way out there. It's it's weird because usually a farting joke <laughs> usually is meant for kids um, and is kind of viewed as a lower end of the spectrum when it comes to uh, when it comes to comedy. But this one, they take that idea where, you know, they're farting of the dead body and they turn um, the dead body uh, Manny into a speedboat, which gets our main propelled character propelled by his farts. Yes, propelled by the farts. <laughs> Uh, to get him to this new island where he washes up on this new island. Um, just, I mean, just wacky stuff in, in this opening. And th- this kind of stays true for uh, pretty much the whole movie. It's just, it's, it's really weird. I think the way that the Daniel sold it to um, Daniel Radcliffe is they told him, look, the first fart's going to make you laugh. The last fart's going to make you cry. And that's what sold it for Daniel Radcliffe, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, which kind of explains the movie in a nutshell, yeah. right? No, it very much does. Yeah, for as wacky and as weird as it is, it does have a heart at, at the very center of it all. Um, I guess we can go ahead and talk about, let's just go ahead and talk about our main character here. Mm-hmm. Um, main character, we find out as the movie progresses, uh, he rides the bus every day, and that there is a girl that comes on the bus every day that he really likes, um, but doesn't really have the nerve to go up and talk to her, right? And so he kind of projects this onto Manny once Manny starts talking to him. Um, starts, pro- starts to project this onto Manny, um, who then starts giving our main character the courage and the drive to want to go back home. He kind of felt like his life wasn't really... He felt like because he was so weird and wacky and he felt like he was outcast, that you know there wasn't much to live for. Um, now... It does mostly explore this theme of love, and we find out that uh, his dad has been kind of eh, kind of towards him. Um, so it feels like there's not a, lot, a whole lot of love in his life. But when he meets this dead, when he meets Manny, that starts to change, and he starts to feel more like um, maybe I should go back home uh, because that's where people do actually love me and, and stuff like that. Um, so that's kind of our main character. Is he when we are introduced to him, he feels like it's not really that life isn't really worth living, but when he starts to project and relive some of these moments or live moments that didn't really even happen with Manny, um, then he begins to realize that, you know, life is not necessarily as, uh, I guess, depressing as it may seem. Yeah. And then Manny's character, for the most part, is one that is not understanding of society as a whole, really. Mm -hmm. Manny, uh, right when he starts to become... Right after they get on the island, they uh, end up in a cave. And one of the things is that uh, Hank holds Manny like a baby the first time he... Well, not even the first time he does something. He was just talking to him just as a corpse. And he was understanding that. He was like, I'm talking to a dead body and stuff like that. And 
as he was singing, um, I think it was, uh, Where'd You Come From? I think it was the... Oh, Cotton Eye Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he was singing. He was singing Cotton yeah. Eye Joe. He was holding him in his lap, kind of like... Um, it kind of remind like if it would change the uh, camera angle, it kind of remind me of when Mary was holding Jesus that picture after yeah. he was brought down from the cross. But the thing was, uh, he was holding him like you would hold a baby in kind of a way, and so that way Hank can teach Manny all the things that people in society do. Yeah, because that's that's Manny's whole thing is that he doesn't understand society, and that's Hank's whole thing is that he was too much afraid to go outside the boundaries of society, whereas people would think it was weird. So like farting obviously is something that's very heavy in this movie and you don't fart out in public. And that's right. one of the things that they kept bringing back and forth. Like you don't talk about that in public. You don't fart in public, all this tragedy stuff. And Manny does it anyways, but doesn't understand the effects because he's only with one person who is learning how to love again. Right. And it's also interesting too, because uh, it kind of plays with some of the ideas of fish out of water, um, that fish out of water story, but it's not like your typical fish out of water story. It's just between a character who is perceiving the world this way um, and learn it and has picked up on some of these social cues and a character who is essentially a, a child, right? He's having to reteach this child um, practically everything um, that he's learned from society. Um, and some of the things that he's learned being, you know, a weird person that he is, some of the things that he's learned and has to now teach I guess Manny is considered to be like his kid in this instance, which is also very interesting because um, of, as we were talking about um, Manny, uh, no, sorry, not Manny, but um, oh crap, Hank, Hank. Yeah. Hank feels as if society is kind of outcast him. Right. And because of that, um, he is escaped from uh, escape from society. But then when he starts talking and teaching this, this new character, this dead body who doesn't know anything, who's essentially lost uh, everything, um, or I guess would be a better example, he has nothing. Um, he begins teaching this child, essentially, his kid in some ways, um, what society is all about and showing him his life and projecting his life onto uh, this dead body of Manny, which then starts to breathe new life into our main character. It's an interesting dichotomy how um, this how the main character who wanted to die at the beginning is now teaching a dead body what it means to live in in a society. Yeah, for the most part. And he also projects life that he wanted to happen as well. Yeah. So like a lot of stuff like during the montage, I think it was. It was right before the montage, right before they start singing montage. He is trying to get Manny to do something that he wouldn't do himself. Because we do that a lot in our heads. He even talks about it. Like you would bring up, um, you'd make up situations in your own head between you and a, another person. Yep. And yep. so what he does is he does exactly that. But like you said, projecting himself onto Manny, becoming Hank, and how Hank with confidence would work in that public situation. Right. And it kind of reminds me of another movie. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, Synecdoche, New York. with I know of it. No, I have not yeah. seen it. Uh, yeah, that's a movie where essentially this playwright is starting, is starts to write a play, um, about his life and it gets so out of control, um, that things, it kind of begins to not only copy his life, but that copy begins to copy what's being already being copied. Right. Um, that's about as far as I'm going to go with it, but it's, it kind of reminds me of that idea, um, to a certain extent, where essentially this main character is going to replay some of the events in his life 
but also take it like a step further. Like, you know, what should I have done? Should I, what would I, I guess what advice would I get, would I have given myself at the time um, to go up and talk to this girl on the bus? Which is also kind of funny because we find out later that girl on the bus has, is married and has a kid and all that kind of stuff. Um, but either way, you do get to see, it is kind of interesting to see this main character, again, projecting what I guess his ideal self would be onto, or this, his ideal situations would be onto a character who doesn't know any, essentially doesn't know better. Right, uh, he only he only knows what Manny or what Hank has taught him, which is great because then what Hank has taught Manny, Manny throws right back at Hank, but yeah. in not the way that Hank wanted it to be. But that's how um, Manny was putting pieces together. Right, yeah, and it, it works out. It works out one for humor and two for he tries to explain society, and then this is how society sounds to Manny. Right, which makes it sound a little silly. Right, and so it makes it interesting when they finally do make it to, um, at the very end of the story, when they finally do make it there and make it to um, Sarah's house. That's right. Laura. Laura? I thought it was Laura. No, Laura Dietz is the girl from Jurassic Park. Oh, Laura Dern. Laura Dern. (laughs) Yeah, that's the Jurassic Park girl. That's the Jurassic Park girl. Yeah, Yeah, it's Sarah, Sarah something, yeah. Yeah, so when we do make it to um, Sarah's house, we do kind of get a dose of reality and we find out that... uh, you know well, the dose of reality was kind of before yeah he tried to explain it to him but he was busy caught up with the uh, giant raccoon or whatever they or giant beaver right. uh, that's right that's right well okay, the, I, yeah i understand the uh the dose of reality thing because mm-hmm. a child manny as kind of a child with little understanding of society is talking to a literal child who yeah. has seems to understand what society's expectations are more than manny does himself right even though manny's been taught by hank who is not very good at explaining, I mm-hmm. guess. And in, in the way that we see it, he's not very good at explaining society in a way. So the question is, does Hank really understand society then? If yeah. he can't really explain it? No, yeah, exactly. It does It does question, you know, it's somewhat of an unreliable narrator, um, but more to the fact that, you know, what uh, Hank is explaining to Manny, especially during uh, an extended sequence around the middle part, um, when he's like teaching him about like it's when they're in the bus and how he's explaining, oh, you should go up and talk to her um, and stuff, which it's funny because main character is playing the character of Sarah in this instance. Um, yeah, we do get to see, you know, OK, well, maybe this is the reality of uh, this is this is the reality that the film is set up for us. Right. This is the this is the world that we're living in for this main character. And of course, we find out a little bit later um, when he when they finally end up in Sarah's backyard. Uh, it might not not exactly be a hundred percent exactly what main character um, Hank had explained to Manny, right? Yeah. Um, but then again, you're right. It is more of like I guess his perspective on this whole thing. He kind of knows that you know he was outcast because he was weird. He was considered to be weird um, or whatever. But it doesn't. It still doesn't negate the fact um, that there is still some objective reality in this film despite it being you know just all around wacky there is something there that grounds this film in some kind of you know some kind of reality um not just in either the main character's perspective or Manny's perspective um but somewhere i mean between those two there is like the objective reality yeah and this is brought up at the end where he's even like the whole ending where he's like explaining himself like maybe i'm just a part of your figment imagination to understand that or to to help you comprehend the fact that you're just gonna die 
yeah. and that your body is just like falling apart and decaying as is. And it starts to Manny, which we learn has powers throughout the whole film. Mm-hmm. At the end, there's this one power that starts to create these different thoughts inside of Hank's mind. Right. And I lost track where I was going. Dang it, I'm so mad. Well, no, yeah, no, yeah, uh, you're on the um, on Manny's powers yeah. and how uh, he has. At first, he has the power to. Um, <laughs> become a speedboat and fart. <laughs> but he also has the power to give the, I guess, give water, I guess is the best way he of putting store it. store and give, yeah, like a cantina. Yeah, I think uh, I, maybe Canteen. where you're going with this was that whenever um, our main character like needs something, like water, for example, Manny always is able to provide that. Um, Manny seems to be the thing in the story that is going to provide the needs for our main character. That kind of where you were going? Kind of. I was trying to relate it to the fact that there is the perspective kind of thing where you're talking about, oh, we don't really have it from Hank's perspective or Manny's perspective. It's kind of somewhere in the middle. I think a lot of it is from Hank's perspective, though, yeah, because his perspective on society is thrown onto Manny, but through words, because we don't understand. We don't. I mean, usually in film, they create a world and then they invite you into that world. Right. Not exactly in this film. They invite you into a perspective. Kind of, but it's mostly through dialogue. So it's not like we're seeing this happen and we're like more like being told throughout the film. Like, like so it's exposition, but for uh, the society that they've built, which is kind of like the realistic world that we live in. Yeah. I mean, it's only like four years old. So the question, uh, not the question, but the, so the way that society is thrown at us is exactly how it's thrown at Manny, and we're back around to the point where like Manny doesn't understand, so he's just throwing out the stuff that Hank knows is wrong, but he just explained it wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I do kind of want to go back to, I guess, I guess back to Manny because, um, as you were talking about, you know, he has these special powers, and it's in some ways always to help the needs of our main character, right? Which then kind of goes to show, uh. You know, our main character um, of of Hank, he does explain at one point that, you know, he finally admits that, yes, I'm afraid of death. I'm, I'm afraid of death, right, is what he says. Um, I think it's a later conversation they have. Um, is I think it when what, they're over the, the pipe? Yeah. Or yeah. is that or is that That's when they're... It. There's two different ones. There's one when they're over the pipe and there's one when they're uh, on in the tree. It's the one with the pipe, but then it's reinforced later when they're in the okay, tree yeah, yeah, in yeah. the bear scene. But mostly over the pipe, you do find out that our main character or that uh, main character, Hank, is afraid of dying. Um, and so maybe it could be that, uh, let's say, Manny is more of a manifestation of uh, something that the brain, it's something that uh, Hank's brain is made up for him to get away from trying to die, right? Well, this has happened multiple times because the first time that there was rustling in the forest, mm-hmm. he's like, whoever took that poop is big and scary or whatever it was. Yeah. That's the first time where they're, we're showing fear. And I think one of the things is that Manny is more expressive on emotions than Hank is. So whatever... Hank is feeling Manny learns that through seeing and experiencing there and this is the same situation right. and then later employs that also. So like the first time they were in um, the forest and that thing was running around them, they're like, this Manny, this is what fear looks like. Then on the pipe, Manny is like, I think I'm experiencing fear. Like I'm actually f- afraid 
and yeah. stuff like that. And so I saw that different emotions that Hank brought up were then, um, not experience, were shown through Manny, but more expressive kind of. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah, I would say that it's um, as our main character kind of grows out of, um, I guess, wanting to not live anymore or not wanting to even go home anymore. He begins to learn that uh, it's even these emotions that we have as humans that may, many has it to really experience until the very end of the film. It's those emotions. That's the thing that makes us human, right? Yeah. Despite how weird we are, um, we all are going to have emotions to something. We're all going to have some kind of reaction in a given situation. Yeah, and and a lot of what probably is what um, Hank's perspective on so uh, not sociality, society, society yeah. is that um, emotions are ugly. If yeah. you show any other emotion, but kind of like joy and happiness and either kind of mundane stuff, you're kind of a little bit out there if you show any other emotions in public, at least. And so when Manny starts showing these emotions, then it's explained to him that, um, no, I don't. He doesn't cry. Oh, it doesn't talk about him crying. It talks about him farting in public. Yeah. Which is anyways, towards the end of it, the message is kind of handed, kind of handed to us, but in a different way where it tries to explain itself, uh, explain Manny's powers, at least, yeah. is what I saw it. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying, that maybe Manny is more of a manifestation of the main character's drive to not die, right? Um, because the human, I know that, I learned this in my, some of my psychology classes, um, the human, depending on how also, it also kind of depends on how you look at look at it but there are like different studies and whatnot that have been done that kind of shows that when you really boil it down um a lot of the things we do especially when it gets down to like our needs um like if you look at say that has those has those hierarchy of needs uh, when you really get down to those base needs like you know water um and food the things that keep you alive uh those are the things we always try to at least alleviate given everything else we always try to at least get those out of the way. And if we don't have one of those, we will go out of our way and break down anything else that could be that could be a, a, a want um, or a need that's higher up on the hierarchy. We'll disregard that and go for what we need to survive, right? We are, Our bodies are kind of hardwired um, in a way to constantly try to get around death, right? We don't really, we, it could be partially that we have a fear of dying, but more to the fact that... Um, we have an avoidance, hardwired in our brain. We have an avoidance of death, right? We don't necessarily want to get put ourselves in a yeah. place where we can die, right? So I kind of see that where uh, here with the character of Manny being already dead, um, kind of, again, that teaches the lesson to our main character that, uh, you know, life is more than just trying not to die, right? Um, life is, and I, one of the main uh, explorations in this, in this movie is that exploration of love, yeah. right? Um, that's one of the main things that this movie harkens on. Fear is also one of those, um, but most importantly is love, is like the center of everything here. They, they they show love as driving things forward, so obviously yeah. I don't want to say it, but there is one thing with the special compass that they yeah. is that love forces that, uh, love doesn't force it, but love shows a path. Yeah, they can say uh, love is one way that we can help fight this um, living thing, like just not dying. It's more than that. And that's what uh, the whole uh, character arc of Manny is, is learning how to live again. There's one line he said. It said, um, 
watching the world go by. This is the world I have forgotten, which is all during um, the first part where he is explaining society, but yeah. with all the trash, which is another wacky thing. Like they all their like set sets are either built out of forest sticks and trash. Yep. Because they create the bus scene. They create like not a house, but like an attic kind of thing where like they walk out onto the roof and stuff like that. Everything's made out of trash. Uh, the wig he has. All the stuff they use to um, get further in their mission to get back home. It's all made out of trash. And I think it's just so creative how the directors and writer. Well, I think they wrote and directed this whole thing. Mm-hmm. How they did that with the fact that what they what. uh Hank explained was trash is just something they throw out that's either broken or empty or useless. And they used trash all the way to get back home. And they considered, or Manny thought that they considered themselves trash. But there's this one part where they brought out the book, uh, Everything Poops, which is just poop drawn all over a Bible. Yeah. It's just pictures of different animals pooping. And I thought that was the funniest thing because it's like, oh, everybody's poop. And then that kind of carries over like all at the end everyone's poops mixes with everybody else's poop and then we're all just one big poop. Right. And I thought that makes sense. So it gives both the, um, the will, it gives like another meaning, like giving meaning to life again versus explaining life or society versus, um, how life is kind of worthless when it all comes to the end of it. Right. Maybe not necessarily that life is necessarily worthless, but no, that yeah. we all end up, I guess we, we all, all end up in the same place. Yeah. Our yeah, bodies yeah. all end up in the same, in the same place. Now I, I say a Christian perspective on this would take it a, a step further and say that depending on uh, what your relationship is uh, with God, it could, your soul could end up in a different place. Right. Yeah. Um, but that aside, it still is hearkening on the central idea uh, of love. Right. Um, and th- it's funny because Jurassic Park, um, is a main staple of the film. Um, they, they kind of hearken to it a couple, of, a few times that of Jurassic Park and Laura Dern and whatnot. So when it comes to Jeff Goldblum's character, he has a quote and he says, life finds a way, right? That's like one of the big quotes of the movie, which is, I would say, definitely applies to this story. Um, you know, th- given our, you know, and it could, that quote could also be taken into maybe, that quote, I guess, a bit more broader than what this movie is going for, because the quote is also saying that, you know, nature tries to find a way to not go extinct, right? It's the same kind of avoidance of death. Um, same with this story, but now down to an individual character. This character is, you know, when you really look, when you really go deep down, he's afraid to die, even though in the very opening scene, you know, he's trying to. Um, but, Given um, how our how we're kind of hardwired to you know try to avoid death at all costs, um, life again finds a way. He doesn't want to go necessarily extinct. Um, that's they want to try to change and adapt to the situation in order to survive, right? So I can see why they would also hearken to Jurassic Park because of that one quote um, that they that is again pretty uh, big for the movie. Yeah. Well, one of the things is at the beginning he's not. He's not like ready to die. Like he's not just going to jump off the cliff with the noose around his neck. Like he's still fearful. He's still yeah. hesitant to step off the cooler. Like even when he gets like his foot out, it cooler shakes and he steps right back on the cooler. Right. So he's not like, he seems like death would be the only way out, which mm-hmm. is kind of like when society sucks, that's what a lot of people look at it. But like, oh, I'll just suicide and then that will be it. And that'll be the easy way out. And that's what I guess he thought because that's where I guess some of the things can go just 
all the way to the extreme. But then when we get to the end, he accepts it again, kind of more or less for the fact that he has experienced something that he hasn't before. I don't think that entirely plays into the fact that he is ready to die, but it just like he said, it seems nice when everybody's crap mixes in with everybody else's crap. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it could, again, with the man, with Manny being the more of a manifestation, the more, I guess the manifestation idea, um, having Manny motorboat off (laughs) back to where he came from, um, kind of, I guess is fitting for the, uh, idea and the character of Manny, him going off because now that he's taught our main character a lesson, you know, he's he's done. He's done. He's done. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, but okay, before we go too far into the ending here, um, that one I do kind of want to talk a little bit more about love. We kind of talked about it a, few, a little bit here and there, but there's one part about there is a scene where they kind of try to explain this idea of love. Right. And I think the quote is um, I don't know if they expressly say it. Um, but they, but essentially the idea, one of the ideas that go around is partially, um, told with the, with the magic compass, um, but then reinforced later where main character essentially explains, I think, again, I forget if it's the, if it's an exact quote, but he says that, you know, love isn't necessarily all about sex. It's all, it's all, it's also about many other things. One of those things being, again, uh, that human connection, that will to wanting to survive and connect with somebody else. And you kind of get to see how the main character and Manny grow to also grow to have a relationship and grow to love each other um, as the film goes along, um, which then part again helps just continue continue to drive this main character of of man or sorry of Hank to try and get back home. Uh, it's that drive, you know, that love drive that he has that he that's reinforced from Manny that you know pushes him forward to to keep going to get back home so in the soundtrack there are multiple uh scores that are named with the theme of love on it so it has fetishes when i think about mom those are two completely like those are when they start off like yeah uh, not when manny doesn't completely understand love and then the on number nine it says love back to life so this is when love starts to drive our main character or drive manny forward to living in and then there's jurassic park which they sing cotton eye joe and then there's talk to her which is right before montage starts or i guess there's two songs before montage starts but this is when love becomes more of a stronger theme within the movie yeah and then the song right after is called love love which is manny's in parentheses it says manny's song so love again drives manny forward and through the montage it's showing how they would or how a and monta and the song montage, they're showing all these things that, well, one, Manny is growing as a Swiss Army man, showing different powers that would help Hank exist or mm. survive. And then the other one is they're experiencing life. So like they're going to parties, they're going to the movies, they're going to dinner, they're going doing all these things that usually people do in society with their friends or their loved ones. And they become closer and closer together. And thus Mandy becomes more and more alive. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're, I was just about to go there that, you know, the more, uh, Mandy's character is taught about society and he begins, I guess, to realize, or Mandy begins to show, uh, how that the way that our main character is, ex- is showing society and teaching them about life and stuff like that. 
you get to see that you know Manny is expressing that you know at the deep at deep down everything he's expressing more feelings of love and as he learns more and begins to feel more and love more he begins to come become more alive yeah so it's the emotions that bring mm. him to life with them all surrounding love so the song don't tell sarah is pretty much manny has already confessed his love to sarah but as sarah or it was dressed up as or as hank was dressed up as sarah and then when they finally get to sarah's backyard he is kind of told off by a child on what is kind of expected from society yeah and then he, Manny, starts to shut down and like his last line is, don't tell Sarah how much I love her or something like, yeah, don't tell Sarah about my love for her or something like that. Right. And so it's kind of like we love to exist, but we don't always express it out of fear of rejection, which is another thing that society is always uppity about. Like, yeah. 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 They do also hearken on that idea of if you're, if you're too different in society, then you'll start to become out, more outcast. You know, the more you work outside of how society rules, the more outcast you're going to become, right? That's kind of just how society kind of works. And they do kind of express that um, towards the beginning. They they say, yeah, uh, uh, main character, I'm weird is what he says, right? He's like, I'm, I was just weird. And that was partially why I left because, you know, uh, society doesn't really, you know, they don't really work with those who are weird, essentially. Um, and so we do get to see how... You know, it's not necessarily that the main character learns to work in the society by being more normal. More of he learns some more. He learns to be more of, I guess, himself when it, when it gets to you could read it. Maybe you could read it that way, where he begins to say, "No, I'm going to be myself rather than let society define who I am." And that's exactly what the ending does. They everybody that he finally meets up with at the end mistakes him for Manny. Mistakes <laughs> Hank for Manny. And they're they're calling him Hank, and he's still dazed and confused. So he's calling. They're calling him Manny. They're asking Manny all these questions and all the bad things, like who is this chick on this guy's phone for this whole time? His father finally comes in, and everyone throws all the negatives on Manny. Yeah, and Hank could have walked away, but Hank embraces himself finally, kind of. Um, turns the girl around. Turns oh everyone there really kind of just turns on him. But then it's all, I guess, for the better mm -hmm. is what you could say when Manny truly expresses himself, not as a dead body, but as a farting corpse. Yeah. And you could definitely take that as... <laughs> as he farts away into as he, the sunset. Yeah, as he motorboats away. I just away. noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay, yeah, and the best, I think the, I think the best uh, part about this is that, you know, the movie, that, the movie also take this, takes this to heart. You know, the movie itself is downright strange. Right. And that's kind of one of the main so things I'd always heard about it. The movie knows itself. Kind yeah, of. Yeah. In a way, is, the movie understands that it's weird. Yeah. So it just keeps going with it. Yeah. It, it knows, I, it, it fully embraces the fact that it knows it's different than most every other film that's released. Right. It knows that this idea of a, um, of a real person playing with a dead body that becomes somewhat of a puppet and then later on um, be starts to become back to life and learns about society, that's a weird concept, right? That's kind of a taboo concept in some ways because of some of the things that they touch on in this movie. But this movie fully embraces that, right? Oh, yeah. It fully takes it on and says, no, I'm going to be, as, you know, as its message um, fully explains, I'm going to be different for the sake of teaching a lesson, right? I want, I'd rather teach the lesson in the way that is um, 
also what I'm thinking of, the best way possible, which is fully embracing this idea rather than, you know, going down a more cliche route. Yeah. And that's what a couple of lines in here are kind of like. So there's a couple of, uh, there's one with pizza. He was like, uh, Hank was like, I, oh yeah. So what would you do? Like asking, like before they confront, uh, Sarah that was on the trash bus, they're like, well, what would make ask Manny asked Hank, well, what would you do in this situation? And Hank would go, I'd probably wait until she gets off and then go home and eat a whole box of pizza, which is what a lot of us, a lot of people stereotypically go to that as a joke. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are like, uh huh, that's funny because that's exactly what I would do. And then they, I feel like they rarely ever do it. Or at least from my experience, I've never gone home and eaten a box. But then again, I don't, I could care less about a lot of different emotions because I'm kind of just over drift them. Yeah. But it's the, a couple of lines. There's another line like that where it's just kind of stereotypical, you know, you know, you know, but it's in this movie, it's forgiven or at least from me, I forgive those stereotypical comments because it's how it keeps moving forward with the actors per se. Yeah. Per, necessarily with the actors because he, mm-hmm. Paul Dano kind of just, acts it out very well even though this whole movie is meant to be weird the two the two or three stereotypical lines that are thrown in there are like how society would answer and then the movie just kind of doesn't react on it it kind of just like forgets that that happened and pushes forward anyways to continue with its story yeah yeah and i think that's why i like i I commend it so much is that you know it knows it's weird and it's not going to connect with everybody in no way is it going to connect with everyone who watches it. But it's also, you know, that's kind of the charm of it is that it feels like it has its own identity. The movie does. It feels like um, it is, yes, while it is weird, it's also, you know, it's meant to be that way. It wants to be that way because that's how it's going to stand out in, you know, in a society or in a reality where, you know, there are thousands of movies released every year. Yeah, Um, and a lot of them are just, the same old, same yeah, old, just exactly. like Marvel, you just tack on a uh, template. Yeah. There it is. That's the word. You tack on a template and then you just kind of throw it all together and then people will come and watch it. Right. And especially because this came out, uh, what, what year was it? 2016? 2016. Yeah, that was at the height too of, of Marvel. Like Marvel and stuff like that. Now, I mean, it's still going, but yeah. at the time it was right in the middle of, all, of its uh, uh, cinematic universe. So yeah, even when even in a world where you know every movie that comes out, especially ones from Hollywood, almost feel like the exact same movie, you have something like this, which is way out there. And I mean, for A twenty four, I guess this isn't like you know that far outside of their realm. <laughs> Not of that film. out of A twenty. But then again, this was in twenty sixteen when A twenty four was still um, moving and grooving. Yeah, but it, back behind the curtain, kind of. Yeah. So they had a couple of different movies released, but this was one of the ones that was more or less out there, out there. Even in terms, because movies don't have farting in them unless they're like a comedy mm-hmm. in which comedies don't really have a message per se, usually, or they do. And it's just kind of handed to you at the end. Right. But this right. one has its message growing throughout the whole movie. And there's farting, I guess there's farting at the beginning and there's farting at the end. And that's where it, the the quote comes back. Uh, the first fart will make you laugh. The last fart will make you cry. Mm-hmm. And that's where it kind of exposes itself. It's, going to be a movie about kind of a kind of childlike actions they don't really like blow raspberries or anything no yeah so no, it's not like it's yeah. not like full-on blown childhood like 
I keep bumping this. Like full-on childhood, like, you know, like Barney or something like that. But it is with different... And then, like, the child that we have in the movie seems like a an adult, kind of. Yeah. But talks not in perfect sentences. So there's a huge... I love the reflection between the child and Manny and how Manny doesn't understand society, but the child does. But the ch- they're both kind of on the same aspect. Same line. Yeah. Yeah, they're both yeah, they're both almost like on a level playing field. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Well, I do want to get into just a couple of criticisms. I want to hear if you have any first before I go. I don't I only have a few, but I do want to see. I keep you getting caught up. I keep getting caught up in the farts. I feel like the um I I I have criticisms because I've watched it three or four times now. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm past the fact where the farting is just too funny. Uh, so yeah, I guess one of my criticisms is and I, this might have to do with like budget budgetary reasons. So I'm not really holding it against it too much. But some of the things that they do do in this story, they look kind of fake. Um, there's a scene when Manny falls from. I think the best example oh, I can give is when he falls from the tree. Oh, you're talking about how it just kind of works itself. I okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like the, how the animation CGI kind of fits into it. I yeah. understand that might also be budgetary reasons, but it might right. also be the film recognizing itself. Yeah, before I mean, I, before yeah. it gets on to the tone shift at the end, I feel like that kind of is well. I see what you're saying. Yeah, because at the end they're still having the uh, the same kind of, <laughs> kind yeah. of stuff like that. It's really funny to watch Paul, not Paul Dano. It's really funny to watch Daniel Radcliffe kind of twerk his body. Twerk. Yeah, that that's okay. Yeah, that him, I know what you're talking. Yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, my my main criticism is more of when he does fall from the tree. It doesn't look super great. Um, again most likely due to budgetary reasons with a budget of $3 million, you know, um, special effects like CGI or, you know, you're going to use them very sparingly if at all. Um, so I, again, I can, I can kind of, you know, I can buy that, that uh, that's not too big of a deal, but I would say for me, it was still noticeable. I know what you're getting at, but I think it, Oh, there's the mic. I know what you're getting at for me at the end where the bear is coming in. I think it's, it doesn't really matter per se. Like you said, it's like just a small nitpick thing kind of, but it's like lesser it's for me. I care less about how the body fell because right after the body fell, it's like moving in different ways. Paul Dano's like sticking his butt up in the air and kind of just shivering, trying to walk forward. It's not meant to be realistic in a way. It's more or less meant to, is it, you need to stop the thought there, but yes. That's no, yeah, I think I know what you're saying. I, I do kind of agree. I think, so maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what you're saying is that, you know, even with some of these effects that don't look so real, because it's, you know, we're kind of within the realm of this care of our main characters. Like, we're, uh, Hank is our main character. We're kind of playing with the, we're playing through the movie within like his own mind, right? We're going through his own perspective. Yeah. And so when these things happen, it's cartoony, but that's because it's cartoony because it's playing within his own. Yes, m- that, brain. that helps my thought because yeah. right after that, he like sets himself on top of the campfire, mm-hmm. and that looks fine. Yeah, for the most part, that looks fine. It's not like, but right. like, and it's this big kind of more or less bigger explosion than what it needed to be. Yeah, but obviously, we can't like that wasn't supposed to happen that way because he's we have a body that's farting and starting I mean, sparks with his hand. So like, yeah, the whole gist <laughs> of the movie like. Just, just, I understand nitpicking on that one thing, but if you settle on that one thing just out of like a negative, I think you're more or less looking at the, I don't even think like it's a technical aspect. I think it was a purposeful kind of 
visual that they wanted to show because it goes along with the rest of Manny's character. Right. No, I, I agree. I agree. That's why I'm saying it's more of a nitpick. It, now, this isn't the only scene, too. No, yeah, no, I understand yeah. what you're getting at. I just thought of the scene where he's dragging him over the log, you know, right yeah. at the beginning. And he goes, the body goes, <laughs> just the legs flop over oh. backwards on top of oh, himself. Yeah. <laughs> they had, okay, I read, but they had uh, four or five different dummies for okay. Paul. Or not Paul. I keep saying Paul. They have four or five different dummies for Daniel. Yeah. So it wasn't like he's always just kind of flopping around. <laughs> but there was a uh, full size, full weight body. Instead of carrying Paul around the whole time, they he, Paul, instead of carrying Daniel around the whole t- goodness, instead of carrying Daniel around the whole time, they had um a full body, a full weight yeah. dummy for that. They had the jet ski dummy, which I think was just there was a lot of underneath stuff going on. Oh, I'm but sure. But he was just being pulled by a boat that they CGI'd out, I think oh, is sure. what a part of it was. So, I mean, a lot... Uh, and I think I understand the animation style of it because at the beginning, that one island that we're having, the, the background just looks a little bit whack. Yeah. I know what you're saying. So, yeah. 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 So, that's one, of my, that's one of my small criticisms. My other one is a bit... Um, not as nitpicky, I would say. Um, and in some ways, I do kind of like that it's here. Uh, and that is how it preaches its message. Um, you kind of said it a little bit ago. It isn't exactly the most subtle movie in the world. Um, it does kind of hand fist it there towards the end with what it's really all about. Um, in some ways, I can I'm okay with it because with a movie that is just so wacky and weird like this, you know, you need some kind of grounding force. Yeah, here. that part I do understand, and I I kind of yeah. saw it the way that Parasite did it. Parasite kind of handed their message out between the between a conversation between their father and son. Like the the message is just like don't plan anything because plans fail. Now it was word by word is exactly just handed the message to him. At least it's not like as terrible as that. But I completely understand. But then they take it. I they take it like two more steps further. Like they even ask the question. Um, Manny asked the question, what if I'm just in a figment of your imagination to keep your body right. from crashing and stuff like that? And I think that's where it kind of helps it. Like the writing kind of helps the message to ground itself, but then it takes it up again. Mm-hmm. So it comes down, tells you the message and then takes it, ramps it right back up with, it's great to have everybody else's crap mix in with everybody else's crap. Yeah. So yeah. I understand, but it's also like the understanding of needing to ground, but they don't let, la- they don't sit there. Which is what I was very happy about. They didn't sit on explaining the message, kind of like Interstellar did when they just start talking about love. They don't like sit down, talk about it. They sit down, say it, and then they're standing right back up and he's being dragged away from a bear. Yeah. By the leg. So yeah. 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 So that's, I guess that's one of mine is that, you know, I would, I guess would have liked it to be a little bit more subtle just because, you know, for a world that's this weird. I would um, love it to continue that way. Yeah, I, I like feel it, like I yeah. understand now what you're saying. Yeah, it would be great to see how they would um, pertain the message, but yeah. with their same style that they've kept going right. with. Right. No. Yeah. Exactly. They like embrace it to a to a point. Embrace, embrace okay. it. Just keep. Like, yeah. Ah, that would have been so good. I would have loved that. But then so many other people would have just kind of right over their head oh you know i, oh, I but that would have been so good yeah it's oh. kind of like kind of like what a racer head does except that one's that one's much further than ball field <laughs> that one that one fully embraces the fact that it you know not even david lynch like david lynch is not even wanting to like he doesn't, he doesn't really want, want to explain, explain it, it. Like he, he said it was thing. yeah he, yeah i love the line he's like it's a spiritual journey for me can you explain that 
No. Yeah. I yeah, love exactly. that. I was like, that makes sense because Stanley Kubrick never wanted to explain any of his films. Yep. Like the people kept drawing them on the ending to 2001 Space Odyssey. That's right. Yeah. But he made a book. So people just haven't been doing their research. They were just wanting the answers handed to them. That right. way they now, obviously people in the film studies class that I've heard, even the new one where they've had, or at least at the school I go to that even the new one, which is a much bigger step up from what they did have. Even the kids still aren't thinking like that. Right. They're 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 more or less. Uh, oh, this movie's theme is about love and understanding each other. But it like a lot of films like this take it like four other steps further. Yeah. And how they explore the message, and then just to see it kind of handed to you, that's fine. But even some people don't even pick up the message that's being handed to them. I lost track of where I was going, but I will pick <laughs> up somewhere else now. <laughs> Where were we? Where were? What was? What was your second nitpick? Was the thing? But what were we talking about? Oh, so I, my second nitpick was mostly to the fact or to the idea that um, this, you know, the story isn't exactly subtle, right? Uh, what they're trying, the message they're trying yeah, to de- right. trying to send, and the actions they take to get there, um, it isn't exactly the most subtle movie in the world. And like I said, I kind of enjoy. I like that because of how wacky it is. There is a sense of grounding, but I would have liked it to, you know, just be, keep going. Just you know, just embrace it completely to that weird side, and just like let the audience figure it out, <sighs> right? Okay, now I figured out where we're going. Yeah, we're talking about Eraserhead. Yeah, and, and I said Eraserhead, nobody, and then I yeah. stepped on Stanley Kubrick, and then I stepped on nobody understands because they're all lazy. Right. Because there it, we go. That's Eraserhead. Yeah. So my reason why I mentioned Eraserhead is because Eraserhead is a movie where now again two completely different films. I'm not necessarily relating this film to that. To I'm not relating. No, I. Swiss Army you're, to, you're relating the. The process I'm, and how it goes. Yeah, I'm relating Han. You know how they preach their message, right? Yeah. Eraserhead is so obtuse and abstract that uh, people will spend a lot of time trying to figure out what exactly that means. And some people, I know some have just given up and say, well, I don't know. I don't know what this film is anymore (laughs) Um, because it doesn't really, it doesn't, it's so, it's kind of hard to say it's subtle, um, but it's so, you know, not willing to give up what, uh, what it's about and just let the audience figure it out as like a piece of art that that's why I, I like it as much as I do. Now, Swiss Army Man, for being as weird as it is, again, it isn't exactly the most subtle movie in the world. So you I you do get to understand what this what the message is by the end of the story if you're not already confused by what weirdness is was happening on screen. And even to me, I don't think this movie is super weird. I've seen weirder, like Eraserhead is a movie where yeah. you know it has no it feels like it has no grounding. It's factor. weird as in like its humor aspect is mixed in with everything else that's going on like yeah. their own specific now daniels have done multiple music videos they did the music video for uh party rock anthem which was something that was most of it i think was their creation on how they wanted to show it mm-hmm. and so the daniels have been working for a long time they met in college and all this jazzy stuff but they fully embraced a stupid idea that they had yeah which i can't remember what the exact words was but i think it was something along the lines of a farting court, a farting or a, a dead corpse doesn't understand society or something along those lines. Right. And they ran with it and they made it their own thing, which is the exact thing that film should be. A lot of films, really good films, learn the fact that the directors are like, this story, I want to tell it mm-hmm. because I want to show it to myself later. 
Yeah, kind of like along those lines. And that's exactly what Daniels did. They just threw whatever they thought was funny into it as long as it still helped the message. Right. Yeah, exactly. It feels like, you know, a director's passion project than in it feels more like it was there to make money. Is their passion project because yeah. a lot of it's just like it's going to be a lot of fun because people get hung up on oh I need to make another movie at the end of this movie. Yeah. But there's no guarantee. Mm-hmm. That was 4 years ago and I haven't heard anything from the Daniels so they're probably back to music videos until they have another script coming up. But it's more right. or less throw whatever you can into it just to make it completely different because that might be even more effective than trying to relate to everybody. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, Andrew, well, do you have any more criticisms to give? Because those are my two bigger ones, but I want to hear if you have anything personally that you want to give. once in a while, the acting from Sarah is a little bit off. Oh, that's a Mary again, Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah, yeah, I feel like the acting's yeah. off. I know her, which yeah. is weird. Yeah, I'm, I mean, yeah, she's only in one scene um, as yeah. well, but I, I do agree. Some of the acting... In the... In, in the climax some of the acting from the well then again they used the composer as the cameraman for oh did they yeah or or one of the composers is the cameraman for the news people okay so a lot of uh, they just use people from who are in the studio as extras and then probably people who are around the town just to stand around gotcha okay so gotcha. at least that part that part i do know yeah that I, way, do that, I think that way they could save some money and just throw in whoever with a little bit of Mary. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I do. I do agree. I do agree. The ending, um, some of the acting in the ending can be kind of uh, shaky. Um, so, yeah, <gasps> that's not as big of a deal. But uh, now that you mentioned it, you're right. I, that is one of my other criticisms for this movie. There were a couple. I don't. The criticisms were uh, very few. I can't remember them. Because I get too excited because this movie talks about farting and love and puts them together and I absolutely love it. And then there's a motorboat of Daniel Radcliffe flowing off into the sunset and I don't question anything after that. Right. I just let him be. But no, a uh, couple of things. The tone is never changed, at least um, camera wise. So it's super bright. Or not super bright. It is a very bright movie. It knows where its dark points are, but it keeps us lit, which is very entertaining uh, to watch. Yeah. Um, that last scene is when everything is happening to hank them calling him manning everything that's all one shot that's all flowing around and that's very good uh i i mean it's basic blocking is what it is and it i mean it's not super effect it's effective in what it needs to do and it doesn't try to like put it in your face like this is one shot it just kind of lets it happen because it's a whole new realm that we're invited into for this movie Right. And so they show a whole different shot because all the other shots were either oh they they use their they use their whole kit of lenses in here. They use their 24 18 probably even got I don't think they went shorter, but they probably did. And yeah. then they've got their huge 300s, 200s in there. I can tell when those are. And then it's just all around they just use whatever they had, but they were having more fun with it rather than that, that, that's the whole thing. They were having a lot of fun with it. So they yeah. were just kind of existing. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Andrew. Oh, no, I forgot one thing. Oh, okay. What is it? Okay. So the highlights are orange. So the shade of highlights are more orange, whereas the shade of shadows are blue. Okay. I haven't figured it out. I don't know. I noticed these color things like, oh, they have this primary color and this primary color, but I have such the hardest time on figuring out what they think that means in the actual film. So yeah. the highlights being orange and the shadows being blue are just something that I still haven't figured out why. Yeah. And I've seen this. Well, I guess I started investigating it. 
the, the third time I saw it is when I started investing in understanding. Mm-hmm. And then this time around, I got a little bit more deeper and I still haven't figured out the colors. Yeah. Because it's obviously live green in the forest, but it's with a shade of orange or blue. That's as far as I can go with okay. it. I don't know when I can like learn about what they're supposed to be. I mean, obviously, <laughs> I can just imply color theory. Like, blue means sadness and compassion, and orange means warm. And I guess it's a shade of red, which means love. And then green is plants, and that means life. That's as far as I can get. We can move on. Okay. <laughs> okay, Andrew, well, what is your rating and final thoughts for... Swiss Army Man. I want to give it a 9 out of 10. I absolutely love this movie. <laughs> I know. Once I saw it in the theaters, I could not stop talking about it for like months on end. And then I bought it. Like I was like, I'm already buying this Blu-ray. And I bought the Blu-ray when it came out and we watched it again. I was like, I love this movie even so much more now. And then now that I've started investigating it on its society message that it tries to send, it's even a better movie. Because there's not really that many movies about society. Society as like a whole, like explaining it to like a baby kind of. It's more or less, oh, here's a chunk of society, like slice of life. They're like, this is this person's society and how he lives in it. But it's not like a message about, like there are messages about, oh, be yourself and stand out. But this is more or less explaining what society is and having it sound silly on when it's repeated back at least and that's what i love about it. and then also the farting and just the creativity of making everything out of trash and sticks and creating these uh instances that we think of in our heads but more or less in a imaginative state whereas they're building i guess you could say they're building forts and then having these imaginary battles but i mean that's a little bit it makes sense but yeah it's it's um brought to the adult version a little bit. So yeah. Yeah. That's why I, I love this movie. Do I say I highly recommend it? Because I very much do. Yeah. Okay. I highly recommend this film. <laughs> yeah. So this is I I guess I kind of I knew what I was getting into, right? I've heard from you and from other things that I read way back when it first released that this is just a straight up weird movie. So I kind of half expected going into it that it's just gonna be strange. And so I guess I wasn't super surprised seeing you know how weird it actually is now it doesn't exactly you know change my score in any way but i know i was kind of i do i did kind of know what i was getting myself into but this is a movie that i do like to see how you know how it it wants to stand out right it's wacky to a point where it you know it fully embraces that idea um, and I, I do love a story that does that where, you know, it's not really concerned about how much money it's going to make. It's more concerned about telling the story that the directors want to tell, right? You, again, you don't see that super often. Um, but it's one, this is an instance where I feel that, you know, it works really, really well. And you get to see a unique film outcome out of it where, you know, it, they're not worried about what other people think about it. They're more just wanting to make a story, right? And that I commend it. I love that idea, that uniqueness that it brings. Um, again, I still have some criticisms that, you know, some of these special effects aren't super great. And I can kind of buy that to be, you know, as it is in the perspective of our main character, that's kind of how, you know, why it is so as, as or as cartoony as it is. Um, but I think my main criticism is that, you know, it isn't exactly the most subtle movie in the world. And again, I'm not holding it against it too much because even then it's wackiness isn't, you know, you know, isn't, 
like it's an extension isn't like it's an extension of the film but it's that wackiness that also propels the message that it's trying to send that of the main character also seeing the perspective of society to our that comes from a main character you know how he perceives it so all that to say i do very much enjoy it i will at some point buy them blu-ray um but i'm going to sit with a seven out of ten but still going to be a pretty solid recommend from me boo Boo. This movie is so much more fun. Now, obviously, I'm still hung up on it. Yeah. Like, high strung because it's just so much fun to watch. I'm not like... I am very much overseeing the... Uh, <laughs> I'm very much overseeing all the criticisms that this movie have. Like, the message and how it's just kind of... They dug a little bit lower to try to make sure you understood it. And mm-hmm. all the um, all the uh, CGI, I understand all that just stuff. But I'm more or less on the side of... This is a very fun film with cinematography that's not like straight up it's still like not it's not like blade runner where it's something that's spectacular Mm -hmm. or citizen kane or something that has like (sighs) i lost track (laughs) it's not something that's like supposed to be super impactful it's just something that like a passion project and i really admire yeah they did everything so i'm still high strung on that so that's why i gave it a nine out of ten and that's that's i'm waiting on that 10 out of 10 movie I don't even know if Blade Runner's there. I mean, it's not for me. It's not a 10 out of 10, but it's a 9 out of 10. Yeah, that's where I might... I haven't, like, researched... Oh, you should do a Blade Runner episode with me. Well, we've already we've already talked I about Blade care. Runner. I don't care. Okay. <laughs> uh, just throw me in front of a mic. I'll talk about cinematography on Blade Runner. Give All me, right. like, a month to prepare, and I'll give you everything I can find. I, All right. That movie's so... I have my opinions on that movie. All right, well, uh, and Roger Deakins. But anyways, we should move on. Yeah, maybe you can, in the future. You can cut all this out. It's just me maybe in Rambler. the future, Andrew, you and I will talk about Blade Runner. Cool. I mean, I'll, I'm willing to talk about it like all day. Corbin, you have no idea how many times we bring up Blade Runner in our, in our podcasts. It's all the time. Blade Runner <laughs> is the number one movie we talk about for whatever reason. We both love that movie, and we seem to always bring it up every time we record a podcast. Just the, the original one, not the 2049. The 1982. Yep. Ridley Scott, I yeah. Um, okay, that aside. Um, okay, Andrew, well, thank you for joining me on this review for Swiss Army Man. You're welcome. I knew that you were, if you were, if anyone was going to record this with you, I figured you would be the one because <laughs> I don't know love, if anybody else who knows movie. this. Uh, Tommy hates this movie. Well, no, he, didn't, he doesn't hate it. He, no, just, he doesn't it understand like, it. No, I don't feel like it's his type of humor. I he if, I mean yeah it could also true. be the the message that he's trying to send he just overlooked it because it was just so odd and out there yeah I mean that's also true but uh, anyway. yeah anyways that aside um, um I'm glad that you were able to join me, join me with this one because this again you had seen it I had not seen it yet um and it is weird but um, I'm glad we finally got to talk about it because I've been I don't know I guess I haven't really had too much of a reason to not to I haven't really had a good reason to ever sit down and watch it yet um, but now that I finally have so. Uh, that aside, next week we are coming back. Uh, Andrew will be here again, but Tommy will also be returning for a movie that is produced by Guillermo del Toro, um, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I'm pretty excited for that one. I've heard nothing about it, so we'll see if it's any good. I'm, you know, we'll, again, we'll see. Um, but yeah, that's what's going to be happening next week. Um, and after that, we'll start our Renania trilogy, which I'm also excited for. And after that, Corbin will be back, returning for our Halloween special. A married man. He'll be back. Yes, he'll be back now. Well, at this point, he's already married. Actually, oh, at this point, he's been married for a few weeks. We will be returning. Oh, he will be returning for, for that review coming October 31st. It will be a few weeks before Corbin and I get back to recording normally. Um, but for now, we'll see you next week, listeners.
Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.